sat there listening to that song this morning, thinking what it was like for an Old Testament individual to have been able to know that that Yahweh that they couldn't even pronounce or say would come to a point where he could live in us. So we're unbelievably honored to be on this side of the covenant, on this side of the cross, and the privilege of being able to share and sing and celebrate with you together. So bless us for this day as we explore your word and unpack it. Help us to understand and hear from you and know what it is that you want to say to us specifically. Maybe at a particular point or maybe through the whole message, but help us to hear you clearly. Lord, we're open and we're available and we want to know what you want from us and we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Morning. Glad to see you. Glad to be back. I had no idea it was gone that long until I saw a big sign in the front door on the way out that said, Welcome back. And I didn't think I'd been gone that long. And, and then they went and had t-shirts made to welcome me back. So that's pretty cool. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, you've heard from some of the really great, gifted young guys over the last few weeks. Now you're stuck with the old guy for the next couple of Sundays. I said to someone a few weeks ago, I appreciate the opportunity to know that I can walk away and know that everything will go extremely well here. But I felt like I've been sitting on the edge of my seat since March, and it was starting to take its toll. And I appreciate the opportunity to be able to kind of take a couple of days of that, or a couple of weeks off, and, and then come back together with you. Continue to pray for those, for us, obviously, as Bob said a moment ago, and for those that are in those situations where they're trying to make decisions, where everything keeps changing every time you turn around. Really, really, really pray for school administrators. Whatever level they're on, whatever school they're in, this is an incredibly difficult time, whether it be college or high school or elementary school, to know exactly what to do, how to do it, how it's going to be received, who's going to come back, how they're going to embrace all the changes. Uh, obviously, the, the athletic department's got a, a, a curveball, in a sense, thrown at them on Friday and trying to figure out where to go with all of that. So I just encourage you to pray. I not only pray for our nation, pray for those in leadership over us, but those that are in businesses or organizations where they're trying to do the best they can under circumstances no one has ever experienced to do day-by-day -day routine, and especially in these next few weeks as schools are trying to figure out what to do. So would you do that? I want to ask you a question as a parent. If you're a parent, isn't one of the greatest thrills in your life is when they grow up and quit borrowing money from you? <laughs> I mean, right? Isn't that one time you say, I just want to be able to have my own? And all of a sudden they come to the point where they don't have to ask you for money. And then the grandkids. Isn't it great to be able to have them go home after a weekend and you're exhausted? No wonder we raise children when we're young. I think it was Swindoll where I first heard it. I've seen the lights of London. I've seen the lights of Rome. But the lights I like the most of all are the grandkids going home. Now that's not true. Especially in the third service, my grandson has been with us all weekend, he's going to be with us, so it's not true for us. But isn't it exhausting at times? When all of a sudden you have him there for a while and you're just not ready for that, the energy is nonstop. I got an eight year old who, from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to bed, and even during that time, is still nonstop activity and action. But really, the greatest thrill as a parent is when they become everything they're designed to be. The greatest thrill as a parent is when they fully embrace Jesus as their Savior and you watch them grow up and become everything they're designed to be. 
and take advantage of all the resources God has given, and they really begin to bloom and shine every time they do a baby dedication. And the parents are standing here, and we're looking at that little one, and we wonder, what's going to be like in their world? What's it going to be like 20 years from now? Who are they going to marry? And I do those baby dedications, and I see those little girls or those little boys, and I wonder, and now that I've been here almost 25 years in October, I get to watch some of that. And these little gals grow up and then embrace that guy and start their life all over again. But as a parent, one of the greatest thrills in your life is when they become everything God's designed them to be. They embrace Christ as their Savior. They want to live it out, whether it be your kids or your grandkids. I'm overwhelmingly blessed. I've got great kids and great son-in-laws, great grandchildren who love Jesus. My uh, oldest grandson asked me yesterday, as he's with us this weekend, he said, what's it like to be in ministry? How hard is it? Boy, I had answers to give him right away. And he talked about that a little bit. And he said, what are you going to preach on tomorrow? And I said, the promises of God. Do you know any? And man, he started rattling them off. And I'm going, this is awesome for him to be able to know some of those things. And some of the ones that I'll share with you this morning. But sadly, not every church attender lives up to all the things that God has for them. Not every church attender takes advantage of everything God has provided. We had sermon notes. I don't know if you picked them up on the way in. We don't know who wants to touch what. So we put them out there at that thing on the way in. So if you hopefully gathered one or grabbed one. Going to see a lot of scripture on the screen this morning. And you'll have them on your way out. It'll give you the opportunity to be able to walk through some of that. ton of verses that I'm going to share with you. And they're all in there. So that hopefully you'll look at them. But you and I have an unbelievable God who has given us incredible blessings and overwhelming promises in the Word of God that you and I get to take advantage of. But sadly, not everyone lives like they believe it. Not everyone takes advantage of the good news they have in Jesus. Not everyone lives like that. I never heard this story before until a few days ago, but for 29 years after World War II ended, a Japanese soldier by the name of Hiro Inata hid in a jungle refusing to believe the war was over. He was not discovered until 1974. For 29 years, he lived in the jungle of the Philippines as they sent him there just to be a spy on the Allies, refusing to believe the good news the war was finally over until somebody, a military commander from the Japanese army, found him and said, look, come home. All of us here, at least I hope all of us here, desire more than anything else to grow spiritually and become everything God designed us to believe. And to live it out in our lives and believe all the good news of what God has provided. And not just believe it, but literally live it. We're going to talk about the incredible promises of God. And why some next Sunday morning choose not to take God at His word and end up living beneath their privileges. We all know what it's like to be disappointed. That someone promise us something and then not follow through. Maybe as a child, you remember your promise of a mom or a dad who said, I promise you everything's going to be okay, or I promise you we're going to go there this summer, or I promise you we'll do that, or when you get here, you'll have that, and when you get old enough to drive a car, I will buy you a brand new Mustang, and you know, whatever the, the things you promised. And then as a child, you heard yourself say, I promise I won't do that again, and you know you're going to do that again. And you've heard your kids say, I promise I won't do that again. And then they do it again. I've heard myself say to my wife so many times, I'm telling you, I won't do anything that stupid again. As soon as it comes out of my mouth, I know I will. A few weeks ago, we were away. I 
had bought some things and, and, and one specific thing I had, a, a, it was just the best homemade molasses cookies you could imagine. They were in a container. And of all dumb things, I set it on the roof of the truck. <laughs> I've never done that before and we're driving away and as we drove out of the parking lot, I looked out of my mirror and I saw something flash in front of it. I looked in that rear view mirror and saw a car behind me run over them. I went back to the store and got another box and since it was there, bought two. You just never know. And the lady said, weren't you just here? I said, yeah, ma'am, I know what I did. And I said, I told my wife I won't do anything that stupid again. And she looked at me and laughed. And then I said, yeah, I will. <laughs> we all know what it's like to have high expectations of someone only to have them let us down. Whether in a relationship or a marriage or a job or a leader of some kind. And we all know what it's like to even have a pastor let us down. Either someone you've listened to all your life, or someone you went to church with, or someone you knew, and they, they, you knew they would stay this way, or stay that way, or they would stay faithful, and even a pastor that you had such high esteem for. Interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul found himself in a situation where he felt like a group of Christians in Corinth <clears throat> questioned his integrity on something he said. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul's trying to explain why he didn't stop and visit them. He said, I, I was confident. I really was. I was confident of this. I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I said that? Was I fickle when I intended to do that? Or did I make my plans in a worldly manner so in the same breath I'd say yes, yes, and then no, no. Because Paul couldn't keep his promises. They accused him of being careless with his promises. I think he felt like his integrity was being questioned. One of the hardest things as a leader, one of the hardest things as a pastor, is to have your integrity questioned. Or somebody doesn't agree with a decision you may have made, forget the other 50 that they like, only concentrating on that one, and then wondering whether or not you really understand what situations are. So Paul immediately switched to the integrity of God. Verse 18, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is priest among you by us, by me, by Silas, and by Timothy, was not yes and no, but with him it's always been yes. And this is the verse. For no matter how many promises God has made, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, he sang about a moment ago, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Back in the Old Testament, God made a relationship special with a group of people you and I know as the Israelites. They were called his special ones, or his special children. He desired to have a covenant relationship with them. And in this covenant relationship with God and his people, he was always making promises. And one of the two were always breaking the promises. Which one do you think it was? Individuals. Children of Israel. We're going to follow you, God. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for getting us out of Egypt. We'll follow you. We'll follow you. And then all of a sudden, whenever they felt like he was letting them down or they hadn't heard from him in a while, they were back to what they used to be. Now, in this covenant relationship in the New Testament, Jesus keeps the covenant as well. And through him, he keeps the promises spoken by God. Now, it is God, verse 21, who makes us both, you and I, stand firm in Christ. We're used to promises being broken. 
whether it be a commercial or an advertisement where they promise a lot, deliver a little, sometimes they are coming through, many times not. We clearly understand what it's like for a politician to make promises. Especially over the next few months, you're going to hear them over and over again. I've been in that world for the last 50, 60 years, and I've heard more promises than anyone could ever keep in a lifetime. Chicken in every pot, that was something they all said years ago, make sure everybody's happy, everybody gets whatever they want. I promise you I'll do all of that. And no matter how many promises they make, there's no way on the planet they can ever keep the promises they've made. But with God, it's different. In a partnership with God, the result of all that God has promises are yes and amen. You and I have access to all of God's resources. The only condition is he has access to all of ours. You and I have access to all of God's resources. The only condition is he has access to all of ours. You know what I mean by access? He has access to my time. That doesn't mean I have to give him everything. But he has access to my time when he speaks. I listen. He has access to my resources. This is what I want you to invest in. This is what I want you to do with what I've entrusted into your care. He has access to all of ours. And we recognize that everything we have has been given to us by him. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, thank you, Lord, for this day. It's a gift from you. Thank you for this meal. It's a gift from you. Thank you for this home. It's a gift from you. Thank you for what I drive. Thank you for what I do. All of it is a gift from you. God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, gives us everything in this relationship. Isn't it amazing that God, who has it all, wants to partner with us, who has nothing to offer? It's incredible. Jesus said, you can't do anything without me. Sometimes we think we can. Sometimes we think we have something to offer God. It's like the illustration I'm sure you've heard before, the mouse and the elephant cross the bridge together. And when they get to the other side after the shaking of the bridge, the mouse looks at the elephant and said, we sure shook that bridge, didn't we? Like us and God. We who have nothing to offer, although we think we have, have an opportunity to join with this incredible God in a partnership that will make us better than we could possibly ever imagine. One based on His word and His, as we say, faithfulness. We all know the great theology that you see in the Peanuts cartoons, right? Lucy looking out the window one day, and it's really, really raining, and she said, look at that rain. It looks like it's going to flood the world like in the days of Noah, and Linus says, no, in Genesis chapter 9, God gave us a rainbow and promised never to flood the world like that again. Lucy said, that's a very comforting one. To which Linus, Linus said, sound theology has a way of doing that. You and I are going to look at some really sound theology over the next couple of weeks, and some of the promises of God. How many promises of God are there in Scripture? This is where you can answer out loud. How many promises of God do you think there are in Scripture? Take a guess. How many? 500? What do you think? 1,000? 1,500? Everybody's read the book, 365 Promises of God, right? One for every day of the week, and there's even one for leap year. If you look on the Internet, you know everything on the Internet's true. It will say anywhere from 365 to 7,487. I read them all this week. We're going to go through all of them over the next several Sundays. Did you know in your notes that God promises to hear our prayers? Did you know that God promises to hear our prayers? Now you say, I know that. Do you? Do you believe that? Do you really live like that? Especially when the answer is no. 
Or especially when the answer is wait. God promises to hear our prayer. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. Psalm 116, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. I think you know by now that I don't have really good hearing. And so when I'm talking to you, many times when I'm having a personal relationship or a conversation with someone, I'll literally do that. I'll listen with a good ear. Both of them are shot. But I'll listen, try to listen with one or the other. I came home one day for a meal shortly after we moved here, and on a plate was this little free hearing test down on that route above uh, get-go and all this kind of stuff. And I said, what's the deal with this? We're tired of you just saying, what? Huh? So I went, did the deal, got in the booth. You know how you have to raise your hand like this? I'll just go like this. I'm here not right? I don't even know what I'm raising my hand to. I did volunteering. I accepted Jesus. What am I raising my hand for? It comes in the booth, switches the, the thing on your ears. You go back in. You do through the same routine. And I walk out. He sits there and looks at me. He goes, oh, you're hopeless. And I said, what? He said, I can say you $3,000 hearing aids and you wouldn't hear a thing any better than what you're hearing right now. So he draws this picture on this little diagram of the inside of the ear canal and the sheaves of wheat that are all standing up that actually absorb the sound and take it in. He said, you had a windstorm, we'll all down. <laughs> so, when, so, that, I, so I literally, when I'm talking to somebody, I find myself leaning this way or that. I, I didn't remember until I read that section of scripture that that's what God does. And it's not because he has bad hearing. It's that interested in what you and I have to say. So what was that? Isn't that awesome to know that the God of the universe, the God of heaven says, look, when you call, I'm listening. I hear you. I understand that you're calling on me. Which of you in Matthew chapter 7, if your son or daughter asks for bread, you give him a stone? Or as for fish, you give a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Even when you and I don't know what to say. In Romans chapter 8, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't even always know what to pray for, but He intercedes for us with those wordless groans, the things that we just, God, I don't even know what to say in this one. I don't even know how to ask you. Or, God, to be honest with you, I've asked you about this for a thousand times. I'm not sure what to say now. They also, also, I'm sure, have those inner groanings of your spirits just simply say, yes. Isn't it awesome to know that God hears that? And even the things that you can't put into words, even the things you can't fully describe, that the God of the universe hears that. God hears our prayers. You know that through Scripture. I just told you that. What you and I have to remember is that we have to believe that and live like it. He heard us. He hears us when we call to Him. He may have not answered the way we want Him to. He may have not answered as soon as we want Him to. He may have answered no. But He hears our prayers. He promises that He will hear our prayers. You know he will preserve the church in the midst of persecution. I get letters all the time. I, I disciplined myself for the first time in a long time while I was away to not look at emails. So last Sunday afternoon, I opened my iPad and started looking at my emails to delete. Deleted 680 emails that, had, that I didn't even have to respond to. Hundreds of them about where we are as a nation, what's going on as a nation, resources for a church, and 
list is in. It's a number that I had to respond to. But I looked at that list and all the things they say and the things they say about the church and what's going to happen and what's going to turn around in November or what may not turn around in November and what's going to happen under this pandemic. Will the church ever be able to exist? And I'm looking at the Word of God. And he said, look, I'm telling you this. Gates of hell won't stop the church. The gates of hell will not stop the church. The church is Jesus' bride. Man, you can talk to me about what you want. You can tear me down the way you want, but you got to be careful with my bride. And you got to be careful with the bride of Jesus. People bash the church and talk about the church and fuss about the church. It is the bride of Christ. You can't wait for that day. When you're gone for a period of time, and all of a sudden you get to come home or you know you're coming home, man, the one thing you want to see when you are away, if you're married, is your bride. Jesus has been waiting 2,000 years to have his bride reunited with himself in that marriage supper of the Lamb and a celebration for all eternity. Man, he loves his bride. In the middle of all the things that are uncertain right now, I am certain of this. He will preserve the church. It may look different. It may function different. It certainly is different. But he will preserve. Thirdly, he will reward us for being faithful. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And he will reward everybody who attends Community Alliance Church. He'll reward everybody who goes to church. He'll reward those in America. And this is in this. He'll reward each person according to what they have done. Nobody gets left out. Nobody's inconsequential to God. Every one of us are valuable. We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. And when it's all said and done, he comes, we come, we see him face to face. He'll reward all of us according to what we have done. Sometimes that waiting is so long. One of the preachers that I've heard tell the story, and I think I've heard it before somewhere along the way, of an old missionary couple. But after years and years of ministry and service, beat up, tired, weary, and broke. Decided to return home to retire. Back to the United States, got on a boat, only to find out that Teddy Roosevelt was on the same boat coming back from a trip in Africa where he was hunting. He got back to New York, landed in the dock, and Roosevelt has accolades and all the parades and everybody coming out to see him, and not one single person there meets him. He grabbed a few suitcases, head back to where they were going to spend the night before they went on to where they were going to retire. And he set his suitcases down and said, this doesn't make sense. I mean, Roosevelt went to Africa to shoot some animal and gets a parade. We've been serving Jesus for all of these years and nobody even notices. Went into his bedroom, shut the door. Came back out and had a smile on his face. And she said, what happened between the two? He said, well, I told God what I thought. I told God what I felt. I told God how unfair it was. God said to me, not home yet. In all of One of the Christian writers, uh, the song writers, not home yet. Some of you know the song better than I do. We're not home yet. I love where I live. I'm telling you, every single night I go to bed, every single time we're sitting on the deck and I hear the doves landing on a pole. It's so quiet where I live. I love where we live. I enjoy it. I hope I spend the rest of my life 
but I'm not home yet. And you're not home yet. He's got something prepared for you and I that blow out the mind. And regardless of what you're dealing with here, regardless of what you have to go through here, you're not home yet, and he will reward all of us for being faithful. Never withdraw his presence. He promised he will never withdraw his presence. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of time. I am with you to the very end of the age. Romans 8, one of my favorite sections of scripture. I hope you have underlined it. I hope you have memorized it. What are we going to say then in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns no one? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, raised from the life, is at the right hand of God, and always interceding for us. Who then is going to separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or the sword, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. And even sometimes when you feel like no one cares, and no one understands, and no one hears, and no one listens, and no one loves me, no one understands me, I am so alone, I am so, and the list is endless. You and I need to remember the promises of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of time. Not just for this week. Not just for this month. Not just for the end of this year. Lord Jesus, bring on 2021. Because nobody wants to live 2020 again. All of a sudden, I remember people saying they went through some really tough times in 2019. I can't wait till we get to 2020. It's going to be, turn the calendar over. It'll be awesome. Can't wait till 2020 comes. Now we're all saying, I can't wait for 2021. I can't wait till Jesus comes back. <laughs> I am with you till the end of time. Nothing, no matter what, will ever separate you from the love of Christ. He promises to receive and help those who come to them. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never turn. Isn't that incredible? The God in the universe says, you follow me, I'm listening. You call on me, I'll answer. You call on me, I hear. You know what it's like to try to make somebody, make an appointment with somebody who's really important or extremely busy? I can't even see all of you. I can't answer all your questions or answer all the phone calls or all the emails. The God of the universe says, I won't turn anybody away. Try to make an appointment at the White House tomorrow and see how far you get. Or if you don't like the White House, try to call Andy Stanley and see if he'll return your phone call. Or whoever you like, or whatever preacher you like, or whatever big ordeal, whoever it is, God says, I will never turn you away. It's incredible, the promises of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Matthew 7, verse that I read a moment ago. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, do you not think that your Father will give gifts to those? He promises to send his son back to earth someday. In a world that's so upside down, in a world that seems like it's falling apart, in a country that seems like it's coming apart to seize, 
In a world with so much unrest and so much going on around you, he says, I need you to know, I am going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back, and I will take you to be with me, and you and I will be there forever. We'll be there forever. I read that verse 400 times at every funeral that I've ever experienced, and all that I've participated in from John chapter 14, when Jesus is with the disciples who wonder what's going to happen what all the conversations have been about. And he said, look, I'm leaving. I just need you to know. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I will return. I will come back. And then they're standing there on that mountain, and all of a sudden, Jesus, after having a 40-day conversation with them, which is Bible study, I would love to attend. Please. They're standing there looking up to heaven. And the angel from down says, what are you looking at? And I've always wanted to say, what do you think I'm looking at? And we already lost him once. Died on the cross. Then he rose from the dead and we get to be with him again. Who does that? We get to be with him again. Now all of a sudden he's leaving again. The angel said, look, he's coming back. He's coming back. He promised to send his son back to earth someday to rescue and redeem this world. And as crazy as it seems and uncertain as the days in which we live, I am certain of this, that he knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly what's going to take place, and he knows exactly when he's going to return and send his son back, and he will make this world what it needs to be. And I have to hang on to him until then. But I can rest assured Never leave me. He'll hear my prayers. He'll reward me for being faithful to the end. No matter how tough and difficult it gets, he will be there. And that's only the first six. I got only 15 in the next couple of weeks. So pack a lunch next week. <laughs> my point is this. One of my points is this. In just these few moments, do you realize how much scripture I've gone through? One of the reasons we put them on the screen, one of the reasons we put them in that note. Do you realize the point of that? God has an answer. God has an answer for every concern, every situation, every circumstance. God has a promise for you and I, whether it's 365 or 7,400. He has a promise for us. He has an answer in his word. And what you and I have to really take hold of in the middle of all the craziness and uncertainty of our lives is I'm going to hold on to that as tight as I can. Because I know that this is the word of God. And he is faithful to complete what he started. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for preserving it. Thank you for the fact that we can still come to it. Still unpack it. Still discover things maybe we didn't see before. Or be reminded of verses we have forgotten long ago. Or memorized as a child. And now all of a sudden, God will live it out. But I'm so delighted. That in a world that doesn't always keep its promises, you do. And so we come to you and we are so thankful in the middle of all the uncertainty of what we feel on around us. And in the craziness of this world that we can stand on the solid rock of your foundation and your word. And know that in the middle of it all, you are there for us. So we thank you for that. Continue to teach us as we walk through this.
this in these couple weeks to come. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you for joining us online. If you've done that, obviously thank you for being here today. If you need somebody to pray for you, we haven't always done that over the last few weeks. Maybe they did while I was gone, and I don't know it. But I feel that's one of the hardest things right now is when you know we're cleaning for the next service, and I appreciate that, that you don't have any need. You, you go out there and share the lobby so that we can get it clean for the next service. But I, I just don't want you to feel like that i got to get out of here and I really have a need that I wish you would pray with me. I don't want that to happen. So if you do, I've got a mask if you need one, be happy to do that. But uh, we just want to make sure that you know we're here for you, even in the middle of all of this. God bless you. Prepare. You help us prepare for the next service. I enjoy some time out there, but I'd like to pray for you. Have a great day.